0: show today it's great to have you here two guests tracy perryman to talk about mental health minority communities but also with kids she's from the center of hope leadership also the most positive man in all of toledo positive paris devon is back on the show a couple of serious things to get to first and then we'll get some lighter things i want you to know that a familiar voice is coming back and a drink that might get you into pumpkin things um it won't get me I've tried plenty of Oktoberfest. I've tried plenty of pumpkin beverages, and it just doesn't work for my taste buds. Um, there was a mayoral debate the other night. Carty was talking about, again, his 10-point plan to reduce all the crime and murders, which have skyrocketed, obviously, here during the pandemic. If you would listen to some people, you would think that this scourge is just here in Toledo. It's not. It's in so many major cities across the country where there were already crime problems, Violence and murders confined to places where these places have these neighborhoods have sadly had this for a long, long time. The pandemic just made it made the good things better, it made the bad things worse. And one of those things was crime. And just to reinforce the fact that um, it's really the fault of the pandemic, not that what not that we, what we should do is once the pandemic is more manageable and under control, go, oh, okay, this, this stuff will just go back to where it was, to go back to the levels where it was, and, and it isn't the nightly, the murderous nightly stories we read about. No, 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 we still have to work on the systemic things like we've talked about all summer long, um, getting better access to these, neuro- these, to these neighborhoods for serv- mental health services, for food, for activities to keep kids busy so they don't wind up in gangs. Um, We still have to follow through with all that stuff. Uh, Mayor Wade's plan, the the plan of those in Philadelphia that I went back to, uh, and other cities to build up these neighborhoods rather than the 10-point plan, which includes over-policing and all that stuff. Some of those things can work, sure. But we've got to fix the systemic issues. And then, in addition to the pandemic subsiding, we can get these levels of crime and violence down to lower levels than they ever have been before. They will never be completely gone. But we can get them down to where they were even before the pandemic. But to prove to you, not that you don't already know, the skyrocketing nature of the violence and crime is because of the pandemic, let me give you another um, corollary. There are more fatalities in car accidents than there have been in a long time. I'll read you this. In the last last year we saw the jump, a jump in the number of car fatalities even as the pandemic kept many Americans off the roads. The number of deaths per 100 million miles driven grew, grew 24% from a year earlier. It was the biggest single rise on record, single year rise on record, and 2021 is going to be as bad. Less people on the road, people driving more recklessly, more dangerously, faster, maybe high drunk because they felt like the road was completely empty. They're driving angry because of the things the pandemic has driven them to do. So this is not an isolated crime thing here where we are. It's everywhere. Uh, There are not more fatalities and accidents just here. It's everywhere. It's because of the pandemic. Um, One more thing, Uh, TPS was discussing critical race theories. Somebody pulled their kids out of school, out of TPS. And from Treva Jeffries, who has a very long, decorated title. Dr. Treva Jeffries, the Assistant Transformation Leader of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion for Toledo Public School. I said this before I even knew that the actual critical race theory is something taught in like law schools, where you need to truly analyze things so you can be a better lawyer. Not so you can be a fifth grader who needs to know that Slavery is part of the DNA Of the ugly DNA Of this country Which has many great things about it But slavery And the results of it And what it caused Linger with us today Um, He said I would reassure that critical race theory Is not being taught at the schools If they think critical race theory Is being taught in the schools Then they clearly don't have a true understanding Of what critical race theory is Drop that mic Teaching kids, teaching anyone young about slavery and how it lingered deep into the present is not critical race theory. Uh, A couple other quick things inside the five has paired up with uh, Maddie and Bella. I guess Brandon Fields and I, I, I know Brandon Fields biggest fan ever. My friend back in Allentown was a fan of him when he was the Dolphins punter I was very jealous I met him here. So I guess Brandon or, or someone that he works with at Inside the Five went to Maddie and Bella, had a pumpkin spice latte, and was like, I need to make this alcoholic. I I like how you I like how that person thought. Now there is a pumpkin spice ale, pumpkin spice latte ale at both Inside the Five locations. Um Bob Virgilis, does that name ring a bell? His voice will. Um Anthony Bellino, who has somehow managed to fit like 35 hours of work into a 24-hour day. Maybe he just needs like an hour of sleep a night. And I'm not being, um, I'm not trying to denigrate Anthony at all because there is nobody that works harder than that dude. If I had to list the five hardest working people I've ever come across in my life, he is one of them. Maybe he just has the good fortune of not needing enough sleep, but he puts the rest of that time. It's good use. He's stepping back from PA duties at the walleye. Free chili? Bob Virgil, who used to do the walleye, and I think the Mud Hens and you heard him at Tigers Games. He's back behind the mic for the walleye this season. They'll kick off their uh regular season home opener in about a month. They have an exhibition game next weekend, which I don't know if there are still tickets available for or not. Thanks for being on here on the podcast today. First guest up, Tracy. Perryman. Welcome. Um, I I don't know if you heard me mention, but we talk a lot of mental health on this podcast, like almost every darn day. Um, So I was excited when Whitney connected uh, us together. And I certainly want you to talk about the, uh, it looks like you focus uh, a lot on children and teens. Um, Before we get to that, I'd like to ask you about you if I could. Sure. Tell me about yourself, Tracy.
1: So I'm... Born and raised in Toledo, Ohio, Um, went to St. Ursula Academy for high school, Uh, graduated from University of Michigan with a bachelor's in psychology, then went on to Bowling Green and earned a master's in mental health counseling. Um, then went to Ohio State University, and there I earned a PhD in social work with a minor in education. <laughs> and so it, the mental health kind of has been a uh, prevailing thread. I did not decide to go for licensure. I wanted to get involved in the community and really figure out what kind of community forces push us down a continuum of either mental wellness or mental health symptoms, and then figure out from a programmatic standpoint how we can intervene as a community-based uh, organization.
0: And what organization is that?
1: I am the CEO and co-founder of Center of Hope Family Services.
0: Excellent. Um, what ha- What resolutions have you uncovered or what would you like to work towards? This, Like I said, this we talk about this stuff a lot and uh, I, I'm a big believer of um, mental health drives everything that we do. Uh, we, don't, we don't get up in the morning and do anything without our brains telling us to do this or not do that. It's the foundation of, of who we are and what we do. Um, so talk to me about resolutions that you might have come across about the continuum and about community mental health and individual mental health.
1: Sure. So I agree with you. You know, a sense of mental wellness and wholeness is what gives us the efficacy to get up in the morning and to, you know, function and then to try things new and to build competencies in different areas. Um, however, our efficacy to make productive choices is also a function of the norms going on in the community around us. Mm -hmm. And those norms are a function of the greater society. Um, the kind of information we're getting through the media and access to opportunities. So, mental health is so important, but there are so many different forces that impact it. So, that's kind of my approach to any kind of programming, any kind of effort to promote uh, wellness and individuals is looking how the system either impacts it for the positive or the negative, um, how those around us impact us for the positive and negative and how that um, affects our psyche and what, how can we intervene at those different spaces. So, um, in the awareness realm where I've been recently first started off with COVID prevention, um, education, because, you know, bereavement is something that, you know, to a certain degree that the pain is unexplainable and it's not, it's something that you don't get over, you know, ever. And so my goal was to help people understand how they could uh, conduct themselves so it didn't d- get to that point. You know, I heard a lot of stories from people about, well, you know, it's only this many thousand people and how many millions of people live in the United States, but see, that doesn't matter if it's your mother, your right. father, your yep. child. And so really building that empathy in people uh, and foresight. And then as the, the pandemic continued to persist, And became really a chronic pandemic, I really started to think about, you know, how is this going to impact the mental health of us as adults and children long term? And so I did a uh, public relations campaign, public awareness campaign back in the spring uh, for adults, you know, really trying to help them build a sense of not giving up. We're all struggling with this. Um, but we're going to get through it, uh, provided that we are still living one way or the other. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how can we put some self checks on us to know and monitor when our moods are changing and how can we sense the opportunity when it's time to, to look for help? So I start with adults first because in a household we have the control and agency, Right. Well, now we've got kids that we need to attend to more closely. We've sent them back to school more than once, uh, where the pandemic is still raging and there's still a lack of uncertainty. They have to—they are putting themselves at risk health-wise every day. Um, they had to take standardized tests last year after not being in school most of the year, if at all. Uh, they have that pressure of trying to catch up now that they're back in school and so now putting the focus on our children, understand that they're people too, they have experiences and they need coping strategies as well.
0: They do. Um, To go backwards a little bit, again, thank you for for being on the show. And you know we've met before, right?
1: Yep, I remember you.
0: Um, it's been some years now. Um, I, I, as you said, you agree with me about the the brain. I agree with you wholeheartedly about the environment as as well. The environment affects the brain and, Mm -hmm. um, we'll come back to the, to the kids and to the family structure, but you talked about maybe like uh, changing infrastructure or mechanisms within the community. Uh, I hope I, I got that right. What are some specific things that you would like to see changed? So it is easier on families and kids.
1: Absolutely. So some things that I have really looked at over my career is culturally competent mental health and wellness. Sometimes, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is is very important. What I have challenged uh, many practitioners to evaluate, though, is how rational or irrational are certain thoughts given the environment that people are in. You know, when you don't have access to basic needs. When you, live in, you may live in a community that's full of crime and where safety is an issue, what is considered rational and irrational could be totally different. And yeah. so sometimes when we're in therapy and in the therapeutic experience, we shoot right to the individual's responsibility without giving validity to their point of view and their realities, that it's not that simple. You know, for example, just in school. Okay, go to school, get good grades, study. Well, every school didn't even have books. Yeah. So that's where I look at the systems um, the systems role. Also, just in how our and sometimes our insensitivity to people who did not grow up with the same privileges um, or at least expectations for what would happen as we are. and so go ahead to
0: your point these are systemic problems like how can we have solid mental health when you're worried about where you're sleeping at night or how can you worry like to your point of how can i worry about doing well in school when i might not be might not even be able to get there i might be hungry i uh, and i didn't mean to like blindside you with these questions but they're the things we talk about on the podcast there's been a, a neat little graphic going around over the last handful of months um, especially with evictions looming and things like that like housing and the right to it is mental health not being hungry is mental health are there any focuses in, in those areas where you've tried to attack because like I know that you've probably encountered this to, and to your point what you just mentioned like it's hard um, to deal with the day-to-day grind and some of the the usual psychological issues the depressions bullying peer pressures when some of those other large things just loom over and I can understand how some kids and adults can go why even bother why even bother
1: absolutely so um actually I am coming out with a book next early uh, late winter next spring on our work in after school spaces a curriculum that i developed called elevate and the book will be published by advantage forbes publishing and i talk about a lot of what you're what you're speaking to so one thing that we do is with the funding that we do have we make sure that we're addressing those basic needs where not only do children come to after school and get dinner and a snack but we also embed cooking classes where they're cooking you know, quasi gourmet meals so that it puts dignity in it. And it's not just like, you know, here's a handout, here's a charity. It's just everybody's entitled to eat and have access to basic meals, but also let's educate ourselves. Let's bring some exposure to it. And we want you to have the same experience as your suburban counterparts. So that's how we built the program structure. So we have community tables where, you know, the food is out. We don't, look to see how much a child is taking (laughs) Uh, we don't micromanage like that or micromonitor and so what happens is children eventually figure out that there's enough to go around and then they self-manage their own appetites but we do it from a non uh, stigmatizing um, approach so of course education rigorous education is a part of that model but also we embed dance and theater because those have impacts in the visual and performing arts have impacts on mental health as well. Um, but we make sure again, the projects are such that again, it would be like, well, if you sent your suburban child, what would you expect? Uh, also my elevate curriculum, every it's seven themes. So here's some of the themes that we, we address. So first of all, self-confidence, which has an impact on mental health. And then also unity, which, once you feel bonded in a circle of people who care about you that can impact your self-confidence confidence and then also your sense of mental well-being then we get into cooperation and community because again um how we treat one another sets the space for the social for the appropriate social norms and also when we expect that we can come into a place that's stable that's secure that's structured and i'm going to be treated well then again your sense of mental well-being will improve um, then we get into creativity and expression so that, you know, we built these these building blocks in terms of empowering the self, empowering the group, learning how to function as a group. Okay, now let's go back to that sense of individuality. Let's see what your gifts are. And as a group, how can we lift up the gifts of one another? And then we go into future expectations and then hope. So, All these pieces work because we pick curriculum, like stories and experiences that are representative of the kids in the classroom. So when I'm in Savannah teaching, there's a certain set of kids, a certain set of themes, certain set of readings. When I'm teaching at Robinson Elementary, there's a certain set of themes, certain set of experiences. So the goal is that we let children see themselves, see a picture of themselves, person struggling in the same boat as they are but then seeing all of the different things that kids like them can grow up and become when they become adults, but also walking through the struggles like colorism, hair texture, mm-hmm. bullying, you know, whatever the issues are culturally for the children of the day in the in, in, in the school of choice.
0: Um, throughout the pandemic, I- no one would ever accuse me of being an optimist, but I'd like to think that I found, you know, some silver linings through this, this mess we've been in for the last 18 months or so. And more people than ever have been wary uh, and no longer scoffing and taking care of their, their mental health. And they've Mm -hmm. taken steps because they've been dealing with anxiety that they couldn't manage anymore or isolation and depression and so on and so forth. So it's nice to see the mental health dialogue and discourse rising up a little bit. Um, Addressing mental health has always been a challenge in communities of color. Yep. What, what have you seen in the black community? Has some of that stigma gone away? Has it gotten worse? What can I do to be a good ally, to help my friends of color, to maybe take back to their communities, say this is okay to talk about this?
1: So I can see a shift in um, the narrative. Um, I, I see more discussion of mental health symptoms and um, mental health needs. I think that the, the community of mental health providers now has to continue to build their professional development on how to assess those needs. So for, one, for instance, people of color, their mental health symptoms are often expressed through physical symptoms. So we have to train clinicians on how to be aware of that. Also, we have to train clinicians on how to um, give space to the daily grind and str- struggles that African Americans are dealing with. You know, whereas in one community, not getting along with coworkers might be a lack of interpersonal skills, for a person of color, that oftentimes is not the case. So really reforming how we do and rethinking how we do therapy and how we ask questions and how we assign motivations and, and responsibility for the next steps. I think that would be very helpful to more people of color being involved in the therapeutic process. One thing that I have done uh, in my community is said, you know, if anxiety and depression and constant um, alertness to, and responses to stress, cortisol, uh, has a relationship with um, gastrointestinal issues, heart issues, cancer, and the like. So one thing that I've said is either we deal with it now as a, as a community or we deal with it later. Yeah, We don't deal with the mental health side, but we're going to be dealing with it in terms of physical health. So it's not going away. It just changes forms. So let's address it on the mental level before it gets to the physical level where some things may or may not be reversible. Um, also I educate people of color on how to go into schools and places and tr- tell people how to treat you and tell people how to treat your kids. You know, a lot of times our kids act up they act out in school because they perceive that they're being judged or they perceive that, you know, they're, they're being feared. Um, they live with the, the, the burden of stereotypes and wonder okay does this teacher really care about me or does this teacher like me or not and so when you feel like you might be judged or you feel like you're not respected that can also signal some some responses right so we have to also continuously educate the people who serve our communities and our kids on how we want to be treated And really empowering parents and others on how to speak up when they feel that they're being disrespected.
0: How do you get that that kid to bring those feelings, those thoughts um, to the forefront so that they can be addressed with all the things that you're talking about, about being more involved in therapy and meeting you where you are? Because seemingly the biggest barrier in, in many communities of color is just the willingness to go, I need help.
1: So for one thing, I think that as therapists and as service providers, we need to go into natural communities and serve instead of expecting people to come to us, first thing. We need to get creative about where we're located, where we're situated and where we serve. The second thing um, that I tell adults is first of all, make sure your energy is such where children feel comfortable sharing with you. Um, I tell them to look for changes and patterns and student behavior and, and and start that as a sounding place or maybe a starting place you know I've noticed like you haven't been to after school so much or I've noticed you're sleeping more or I'm noticed you're more irritable and things that didn't accept you upset you before are upsetting you to the level where you could be in trouble you could get in trouble for this so so what's going on um, one thing that I do with my kids that persistently misbehave is I ask myself so what's going on with you yeah I said because happy kids don't misbehave yep okay and so a lot of times if it's just they're just being defiant to be defiant then they get it together because nobody they don't want to be labeled but a child that really is having an issue if the energy is such and you've been around them enough to build a the rapport they'll tell you or at least tell you enough to help you get on the continuum to where they need you know get them on the continuum to where they need to be i also say that kids who feel good about themselves are happy kids so i say happy kids don't get in trouble and kids who feel good about themselves are happy kids so something's broken here yeah okay so what what's got you unhappy okay nobody did anything to me okay nobody did anything to you so then the next question is what are you afraid of you know what you know do you feel like you know how your grades because sometimes they're not going to tell you you know they, they can't read the they don't want to read out loud because they stutter. You know, mm-hmm. Examples like that. So a lot of times the insecurities define creative ways of getting at those. And I think that people who are in communities and providing services need to have these more narratives with mental health service providers so that we can give them information on how to be culturally relevant, but mental health providers can help us take those points of view and then design the questions in a in a developmentally appropriate way.
0: Um. You talked about going to communities as opposed to expecting them to come out of wherever, Uh whatever their barrier is. Maybe it's a transportation thing or maybe they're just the stigma. Um, Going to them, um, usually we focus on, like, making sure there's not a food desert, like, I have been yelling this from the rooftops for the last five years. ProMedica, please take your market on the green idea and copy and paste it everywhere where someone is threatening to put another Dollar General up um, so people can get some vegetables and whatnot. But you bring up a great point. We should also bring the services that are available to the suburban families. I know that they're, like, I just came from a unison just outside of downtown on, on Woodruff today. Um, do we put more um, accessible mental health centers in neighborhoods? neighborhoods of color as well to also remove some of the stigma and in the same way that you'd walk into the family dollar or the save a lot or whatever you can walk in here and talk about the tough day or the tough challenges that you're dealing with in your relationship is is that something feasible
1: well i think that that could be done or just employing mental health therapists in after school you know in community-based settings and having therapists on site with an office I like so that. that way they get to know the they know the clients that they they're serving the kids outside of being referred for therapeutic intervention.
0: Yep. Yeah. I get kids um, who are seven, eight, nine years old comfortable talking to someone about their feelings so that as things do get more challenging and they might have to make some very great decisions when they're 17 18 years old they're not concerned they're not stopped by stigma to go talk to a mental health professional i like it a lot
1: absolutely and i'll tell you something you know i'm the ceo of center hope i still go at gym time and i still shoot hoops with the kids every now and then so you want to make yourself visible and present before there's an issue right they can feel your energy and get to know you and then they'll come to you you won't have to go to them
0: Um, Really, my last question that I had for you, you alluded to a little bit, and, and, and again, I think some people have gotten more. People's mental health IQ has been raised, whether they wanted it to be or not over the last year. People became more familiar with Signs and what their triggers were and what they needed to stay away from and what made them feel better. Um, When it comes to kids, it's so challenging. You pointed out something that I, I think people have become pretty familiar with. You're watching for grades. You're watching in changes of behavior, sleeping patterns. What if you can't necessarily notice anything there or you do and... Look, adults have a hard time communicating their feelings, all shapes, colors, genders, ethnicity. Sometimes people just can't put how they feel into words. We can't x-ray that you are depressed like we would a broken bone. How do you get a child to open up to you to explain what they're feeling or what's troubling them so that you can help them?
1: So I think with a child, you definitely you just want to look at, you know, are they are they sad? You know, you don't they can't tell you the hows and whys necessarily. Mm-hmm. Of course not. And I don't think you expect that. But I tell people with kids, therapy is very important because, again, you need somebody who is trained to know how to ask the right questions at the right age. And that's how I try to you know, present it so that it doesn't seem so stigmatizing to their parents or the adults in their lives.
0: Uh, I did see on some of the stuff that Whitney passed along to me that you're a big, uh, it seems like you're a big proponent of uh, text HOPE to uh, 741-741, correct? Yes. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, basically, that's just our line. So if you need help, if you, we try to make it very simple for the community. So rather than me going, you know, with a large, long phone number and so forth, if you go for hope to 741-741, they can, they can direct you and the, they can point you in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I know we talk about it with um, the uh, Lucas County Suicide Prevention Coalition, and it's extremely helpful because (laughs) even we don't want to make phone calls these days. We just want to text somebody, and sometimes that voice can be a a bit off-putting when we're just comfortable texting somebody. I know there are trained uh, professionals on the other end of that text message. Even if it's just somebody who is sad for the day, you can reach out and um, and get some help and they can evaluate whether or not there's something deeper going on, something, maybe an acute situation. It's a, it's a great asset.
1: Yes. All
0: right, Tracy Perryman, thank you so much for the time. It's been great to chat.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed the opportunity. Enjoyed the conversation.
0: Hey, last minute programming update. Um, my afternoon was tight. Paris, uh, Paris got called on a last-minute call that delayed him a little bit, so I'm going to try to snag him tomorrow. So that's it, a quickie podcast today. Thanks for being here.